0: Uh, today is our last meeting for this year and, as I said last time, I would, want, would like to cover stages 7 to 9 and beyond, also make a bit of connection to what we are going to explore next year. And we will also talk a bit about what is called the four jhanas. But before I start to talk, let's take some time to settle and to give you some space to. Check in and reconnect. And notice your posture. slides away from the head into the body, into the whole body, Even down into your feet. Gently, without hurry, you notice what you bring with you, what the inner weather is like. Most important here is a sense of friendship, a sense of warmth that supports you in this movement. Slide with the in breath, with each in breath into the body as if you could embrace yourself with the breath. You allow your thoughts to move into peripheral awareness. And you bring the aliveness, the energy, the movements in the body to the foreground. Shifting from the doing, from the busyness of the day, to being here. A moment without pressure. Your belly, solar plexus. shoulders Stabilize the mind a bit, so the flow of the breath or the sensation in your hands or both. But the emphasis is on openness, panoramic open awareness. If you start to emphasize the inner dialogue or mental images, you slide back gently and friendly into the trunk of your body. mind is still somewhat agitated or there's discomfort in the body, probably we can also appreciate the stillness or the peace which arises when We let go of the doing, then we invite presence of a mentor or a benefactor. Could be also a few in the space in front of us. It's like the morning sun rising Buddha, Dalai Lama, Kamapa, male and female, Buddhist and non-Buddhist. And you allow yourself to feel the warmth, the kindness, like bathing in the sun. look at their eyes a smile and feel their joy system. just sitting in the radiance, you become more like them. And these mantras, they dissolve into that golden light. It comes into your body, at the heart level, where it comes from, and you become aware of the Buddha inside, the source of your joy, the source of your love. source of your wisdom, or a Tara, or a Dalai Lama in your heart, or a diamond. And the warmth and the healing light is spreading as if your heart is opening like a flower. And then you start to radiate healing light to the pores of your body. forget forget yourself and be the light Like you can, can, can connect with your family, parents, children, and look at them with Buddha eyes. recognizing that at their core they are the same Just resting. And then at the end of our meditation, I encourage you to connect with the soft spot in your heart, the yearning to be free. And the yearning to serve, to heal, to contribute, the yearning to grow to expand to make this place a better place to bring peace That's why we're here tonight. With stage 7 we have mastered all the practices, so the mental factor of stable attention and introspective awareness is in full power. That does not mean that what I'm going to say now in connection with stage 7, 8 and 9 is not interesting for us if we have not reached Mm -hmm. stage six, because some of the movements and some of the experiences, they can happen uh, before, in the previous stages. So what happens? Well, in, the, in the transition, I mentioned the challenge already, that is, learning to let go of the antidotes. So we're starting to explore effortless meditation, so it is, it is a meditation which So it's like we don't need to do anything anymore. It kind of it's a meditation which happens by itself. It's probably at least that is what people who are familiar with that territory. It's probably necessary to do a bit of doing uh, initially in each session. But then there there needs to be this moment of letting go, letting go all techniques, letting go of all active movements. So it is here actually where you could talk about effortless meditation or choiceless open awareness. I'm also using these words, but in in a way, I fool myself and others. Because most of us, when we move into that direction of open panoramic, choiceless awareness, we actually still get entangled in the content of our ex- in the content of our experience. It's still nice uh, to say it and and to relax with it. But a practice which calls it, which is like genuinely effortless, choiceless, open, panoramic awareness, cannot really happen before the seventh stage. So what happens? Uh, by then, inner tension, inner struggle has ceased. So all the all these processes which before were competing uh, with your attention, uh, so nice processes and difficult processes, and also the clashes between different post- processes, they, they start to cease. The side effect of that is meditative meditative joy called pity. So meditative joy is something different than the kind of joy we know because the kind of joy we know is depending on good weather, on, on nice things. <coughs> so it is uh, it is like a, the response to have contact with a, nice set, uh, with a nice sense experience. That's why in the teachings on renunciation we hear that actually also that kind of joy is in the nature of suffering. Because it is nothing to rely on. It will come and go. and part of being in samsara is to run after that kind of joy. So this pity, this meditative joy, it's it's amazing because it's a joy which is independent from how well your life is going and you... before you might have understood that nothing ever, like on an intellectual level, that's part of the teachings on Annunciation, that nothing ever will satisfy you. Nothing ever... nothing in the content of your experience <clears throat> will satisfy you. Nothing. Pemashuran calls that heartbreak with samsara. and And here with meditative joy, you suddenly find a genuine source of joy, something a joy from inside, you could say, or so inside outside starts to kind of deconstruct it. But uh, still, one could say it's like the source of the source of joy. So imagine that. I mean. And of course we have in our meditation practice, even like in stage two to four, so we have moments like that where we, where we touch that, this, this uh, contentment, like a genuine contentment. And you, you start to see, wow this whole rat race. Amazing. So then of course that's where a genuine renunciation starts to develop. Not a renunciation which is based on thinking and the teachings but it's like a renunciation from inside. I mean if you can Drink the water of life from the source. You are not going to be fooled anymore by any kind of promises or any kind of uh, any kind of having things or experiencing things or hearing things or listening to things. So there will be. So there is a. There will be a natural movement towards meditative joy your mind will realize well that's that's much better than watching Netflix. That's much better than looking at mountains or eating nice food. Not putting that down so this meditative joy pity can be initially can be very very intense so that's when people uh, when people call it bliss and then we have a strange challenge because even though this meditative joy is so wonderful and it brings you contentment, it's, not, it's a dead end in a way. So it's not liberation. And it is confused with liberation. And it's easy to get addicted to it or attached to it. So you become a pity junkie, and and of pity. pity, uh, That's a Sanskrit word, Uh, no a Pali word Mm, for that meditative joy. Um, And of course, that grasping to pity then, you know will create disturbance into our meditation, and uh, disappointments, and trying to get there. And so we we bring, again, so kind of we we lose the state and, and go back into a struggle. It becomes sometimes a problem when people have this kind of experience prematurely because then you might spend years trying to go back (coughs) to something which you have experienced by chance maybe. (coughs) So what is important when we experience meditative joy to know this is not enlightenment and we handle it in the same way as we handle other experiences with equanimity. We don't suppress it, we enjoy it, uh, but we are aware when we start to grasp, when we want to have more of it, when we want to hold it, when we try to get it. So that's like this Letting go this this relaxation within joy this meditative joy pity is also connected with something uh, which is called pliancy i don 't know uh, the the pali word for that, but pliancy is a it's a wonderful sense in your body of, of lightness, of, uh, of, flow. So all, you know, so all sense of solidity, and contraction, in your body is completely gone. So it's like uh, your body becomes. You can sit for hours without any discomfort, without any, like, stuckness. So it's like, it's like you, are, you become a Qigong master without moving the body. Yeah. The, you know, the channels, the energy in the channels starts to move smoothly. The knots in your chakras completely dissolve and open. It's like, I mean, the best massage we ever got is like nothing to compared to to that vitality, uh, fullness, and uh, just a a, a sense of complete health. Like complete, You, you don't feel like oh, after this session I need to. Make some stretches, or you know, or go for a walk, or uh, you know, get a massage because I have stiff shoulders or something like that. It's it's not like that. So that's that's compliancy. It's it's a kind of I guess it's the same kind of phenomenon. Phenomenon uh, looked from the more like body side and the mental side. So this is also of course part of this contentment, like I mean what uh, so it's like uh, there's no there's no running anymore towards things or experiences where you hope that they will fulfill you or or they will make me happy. That's completely gone. So initially the pity can be very intense, bliss. In that period there might be also, uh, as a kind of, kind of the last, you know, blockages which start to open, you know, I, I talked about the dark night of the soul. So also, experience of pity, of that meditative joy, of that bliss. On the other hand, there can be, again, intense experiences of energies moving what in some traditions is called kundalini awakening, which can be uh, wonderful but also difficult and disturbing Mm. because they are strange, they are bizarre, Uh, they they might um, trigger fear or, you know, is is that normal? You know, what's happening? Uh, So this is uh, Also, movements in energy in your body can produce visions which then and these visions can be angels or demons. Uh, So there it's, as I said when I talked about the dark night of the soul, uh, that's very helpful if we are in a context uh, of support. And having someone who is not, um, who does not worry about it, and kind of tells you, well, ah, so that's fine. Just it's normal. Uh, so there's nothing to worry about. Just uh, let let this move. Yeah. So let that let this move. Then, with uh, stage eight, the intensity of pity. Uh, subsides, so it's it, it's uh, it becomes it kind of it cools off. It's not so uh, like. It's not so energetic. It, it just cools off. Just need to check if I forgot something. No. So now, now it's time to move a bit into the Vipassana aspect in the same way we already did in the previous stages when it was about making the competing processes the meditation object and uh, looking at these processes, for example physical discomfort with the view of the three characteristics. So, here it, w- the direction we move into is that we become curious about the knower, that which is cognizing, not the object of cognition, not what is known, which we have been focusing in this process a lot. So when we cultivate shamata, we direct our attention to what is known. That is our meditation object, to the content of our experience. (laughs) And actually within that move of focusing our attention on the object, on the known, that's actually part of that dualistic split. So in a way through practice, we uh, we emphasize that dualistic split. Yeah? So we focus on the object, and when we have an object, there's also the creation of the subject. So now, in uh, in 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 the last stages of the practice of shamatha we start to become curious about that which knows, the cognizant, the cognizant (coughs) aspect, not that what is cognized. So, we we direct We direct the attention, or we withdraw a bit the attention from the object back to its source. This is th- the most important move. So this is, you know, this move. Uh, turning attention back to its source, mm-hmm. p- turning attention, turning attention back to itself. This is what His Holiness, the Dalai Lama says in his book The Heart of Meditation the moment where actually meditation starts everything else is provisional and leads to that that we are really capable of becoming aware of awareness itself And uh, after um, next year, uh, part of uh, our exploration of the practice of pasana will, will be uh, will be that. I will say maybe a if we have some time left uh, after the break about this. So now I want to say a few words about the jhanas. The four jhanas. So sometimes you read about the eight, but like it's quite common to, to talk about the four jhanas. Uh, and then there are subdivisions of the four jhanas. So four jhanas, jhanas can be translated can can be translated as absorption. So the four absorptions. It's quite uh, I prob- I don't know if if uh, so be careful with with what I'm saying now because I'm I'm not uh, so I'm a bit confused about the uh, four because uh, different uh, Theravada schools have you know different definitions of what they mean with the four and they have also different criteria of what, uh, what actually a jhana is. So in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the four jhanas, the four absorptions are states which are accessible only after the ninth stage, stage of shamatha. So they are kind of above that. And in the Tibetan tradition, They are not interested in them. Because um, since the Tibetan tradition is a Mahayana tradition, so the emphasis is on not transcending the world, but saving the world, relating to the world. So the the four absorptions mm, it's similar to what we would call flow. So we have this um, there's this Czech guy with this strange name who, uh, uh, who has explored the flow experience. So it's this experience where we kind of get lost. So we become absorbed into the activity. Yeah? It's like you forget yourself. So the jhanas, they are something similar, but it's like, uh, so the same kind of uh, dissolving into, or being absorbed into, so you forget yourself, into uh, a, a mental experience. And in the Tibetan tradition they they there's actually more like a warning uh, you know, because three of these jhanas, they are formless. So what that means is you completely disconnect. So you kind of, you you, uh, you you uh, you you uh, you dissolve, or you 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 be you are observed. Uh, you absorb into uh, uh, like a a state where you are completely disconnected from the senses, completely disconnected from the conceptual mind. Sounds good. Uh, so it is <coughs> complete peace. And you are not there anymore. And in the Tibetan tradition they, uh, they, they say it's a dead end. And it is described if you reach a deep Janic state, that you will be reborn into the formless realm. So you kind of you absorb into that dimension into that dimension of consciousness <laughs> and, then, when the body dies, so the body stays alive a while as long the karma uh, f- of this life is still running. But then, when the body dies, you have created the causes by uh, uh, by making by being f- by being familiar with that state, that you will reborn. You will be reborn into that formless state. And you are completely useless. You are not suffering, but you can't also help because you are, are, like your consciousness slipped into a different dimension. so in the in the in the tibetan tradition the meditators that's why there's no teachings on the four jhanas in the tibetan buddhist tradition because the the practice of shamatha the ninth stage that is a stage where you then would do what i just previously pointed to, so you would do the vipassana practice, you would do the meditation on emptiness, and you would focus on post-meditative practices, the practices of the sixth perfection. So as a Mahayana yogi, you wouldn't try to uh, kind of slip into a transcendental state and rest there forever, but you would uh, at one point move back to the marketplace and practice the six perfection and go to what is called the ten bodhisattva-bhumis to full enlightenment. And full enlightenment is not a state which is beyond samsara. Full enlightenment is a state beyond samsara and nirvana. So you are in the world, but not of the world. And your vow is to save everyone. Mm, From the Mayana point of view, people who uh, dissolve into one of the four jhanas they are not lost forever. So so the myth in the Mayana tradition says that one thing can happen, one thing is that so for a long time nothing happens. Uh, For a long time, it's like millions and millions of years. And then there's a movement And because there was nothing, and suddenly there's movement, you think you have created the movement. And then from that movement, a whole universe starts to appear, and you believe you have created it. So you think you you are God. And from the Mayana point of view, we have been we all have done that so there is a there is a universe appearing and because you are the first one around yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you have a sense that you have created it so you feel you are the creator of the universe it's i mean that movement is kind of traces of previous karma it's not you don't create it. It's just because uh, a d- dionic state is not liberation. So all the stuff is still there in, on, on a very subtle level. So uh, it, so this happened to you know Brahma now in, in, in this universe, uh, but at one point. He actually realized it, and he was actually the one who asked the Buddha then to to teach yeah. so this proves that God is a Buddhist <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> uh, the other uh, the other uh, uh, the other move which can happen or which will happen according to my according the mayana tradition is that at one point uh that that being in the formless realm uh starts to realize that's not that's that's there's more this is like this is this is i don't know maybe like it's boring or, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that's like the myth in some in some traditions is like uh in that kind of nothingness that peace uh it's so boring that there's the first the first kind of move again so yeah and that does not mean um, that we can we cannot play a bit with uh, the Janic states uh, so, And I would like, after the break, uh, share a meditation kind of showing into that direction. And that is, it's possible in our meditation practice to start to pay attention to a still point. So, sometimes I use the instruction, could you allow yourself to find a place of rest, or uh, try to uh, gravitate towards the eye in the storm, yeah? or Another instruction would be listening to the stillness which is beyond and pervading your experience. So all these uh, all these pointers they give us a kind of they give us a bit of an opportunity to uh, find find a place of stillness within the, within the movements of our mind and and take that as our meditation object so direct the attention to it and then kind of see or experiment with like letting go into it dissolving into it Yeah, I think that's, that's a bit, that's, uh, that's how far I'm, I got in my understanding of the jhanas. And if one wants to explore them, and you know, there is Tirvada traditions and retreats uh, where people uh, actually you know, learn to enter these four jhanas and distinguish between them. And then there's subdivisions of the four jhanas. So they become so, um, so experienced in that inner territory mm-hmm. and, they, and they play with it and they, they can enter these, these different states. And they are not worried about uh, they are not worried about getting lost because Mm there is not the idea to sign the Bodhisattva contract of uh, taking the responsibility to, to take care of everyone.